I, uh, I've shared portions of uh, the story with you, but never, I don't think, in the full context of, of things. Um, we used to have a, a group years ago. Uh, we called it our X-Files group. Uh, X-Files used to be a, an old TV show. They tried to revive it a little bit recently, and Chris and I got together, and we decided it wasn't nearly as good as the originals. I'm not sure if he's seen the originals, but it's not as good as the, the original ones. But I don't want to talk to you about X-Files today. I want to talk to you, though, about the importance of having something in common uh, for with the combined with the intention of connecting... Our, our church community with our unchurched friends. And it was very intentional. So we, would, we chose this because it just seemed to be a popular thing. And uh, we would, uh, whatever night it was on, I don't even remember now, but we would get together at somebody's apartment. And little by little, people began to come. And there was a blend, a beautiful blend of some of our church friends and some of our unchurched friends. And we just began to develop friendships with them. And that eventually led into Bible studies and conversations about Jesus and what it means to be a friend of God. Um, we, um, I, I think I've shared with you, I know I have, but you may not remember the, the story of me being the stalking pastor. Um, this has only happened once, but this is a bit how the group got started. Uh, because I was driving in my car, I'd just gone to the gym one day, and I was in shorts and my tennis shoes, and I had the sleeves cut off my shirt, because I, you know, I'd just been to the gym, and I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, I was driving home, and uh, I pulled up behind a car that had license plates from my home state of Oklahoma. Now, I see some of those periodically, and it's never a big deal, but this time was very different, because I sensed Something in me stirring to follow that car. Isn't that weird? <laughs> and I thought, that's, that's silly. I tried to wipe it out of my mind and turn the radio on even and began to sing. And sure enough, that impression came back to me again. I thought, I, I don't know these people. What am, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. But the impression, that sense wouldn't leave me. So what did I do? I followed the car. It drove over to Sausalito and went up to an apartment complex and into a parking lot. I said, well, what am I going to do now? So they pull into a spot, and I just, you know, like a really menacing person, I pulled in right behind them and kind of blocked them in. And I rolled my window down, I stuck my sleeveless arm shirt out of the window, and I said, hey, are you guys from Oklahoma? They're like, yeah. I said, well, I grew up there. I've been living here now for a few years. But um, I just... I don't know why, I just thought I, I would follow you. <laughs> Want to let you know, I'm the creepy pastor in town and uh, would like to invite you to church. That's, that's quite a way to begin things, right? And they said, you know, that is so remarkable because it was a husband and wife, they were fairly newly married, they said, we were just talking about where we might go to church on Sunday. I said, well, here's my card. <laughs> we should talk because maybe God is doing something here. We began these uh, meetings um, around X-Files in someone's home. And before long, we had two of our pe- friends at church were taking a Portuguese class that was held over at Tam High School. Um, and they had met a, a, a boyfriend-girlfriend couple who had moved down from British Columbia. And they invited them to the X-Files party. So now the, the group was growing. And then one of the co-workers from the Oklahoma car... Uh, she invited, uh, one of the, the people from that car invited one of her co-workers to join the group. And that co-worker and her boyfriend came. And we had this great time, not just about around watching uh, this TV show, although that was fun. But the, the ultimate purpose for it was to give us, not only to deepen our friendships with them, but to give us an opportunity in a very real way 
to talk to them about our love for Jesus and how He loves them and to explain that and to try to provide an example of what that means just by being part in that way of who we were together in the Lord. Well, everyday mission is our theme for this morning. And that is a way of picturing what everyday mission is intended to be. Because the mission call of God is that which enfranchises every believer. What I mean to say is that everyone has a part to play. The mission call of God is not a disenfranchising call in any way whatsoever. It is a, it's a lifestyle and it's a, a, an attitude that dovetails into an intention that then motivates action for who we are individually, but even more importantly, who we are corporately. corporately. Everyday mission is not a specialist activity. It doesn't require special training. It doesn't require uh, anything like that to be a part of what God is doing right around us. You're going to hear a story next week of Mansur and Kiana, and you talk about the way God worked in their life, and you're going to hear that story from their own lips. In fact, that's going to be most of our sermon time next week, is hearing and rejoicing in the wonder of what God has done in their life as an example that God is alive and well right here in this county. It's not a specialist activity, although we do prepare missionaries to go uh, overseas. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, holding a commissioning service for our very own Cal and Aaron as they prepare to head to Southeast Asia. And so there's, there's a role and a part for that to play as well. But everyday mission and the mission call of God is intended for everybody. It's not a specialist activity. It's also not for the super talented or the super intellectual that can give an explanation for every theological question or every hard question about God. It doesn't take super uh, people like that, although God works through them, praise the Lord. What it does take is a desire and a willingness to be co-laboring with God, collaborating with God in what He is doing. And it's something for us all. This is what Peter describes in this section of our letter, First Peter. Open your Bibles, please, to First Peter. We're going to start in chapter 2 today. 1 Peter chapter 2, and you may remember we've been spending a fair amount of time in recent weeks describing what Peter, he's talking, remember, the New Testament is largely a collection of missionary letters sent into missionary settings, helping Christians and churches understand how to live their life together for uh, the glory of God to be known and to be seen by the world around them. Peter's writing to a group of churches that are spread out all over what we now know as the country of Turkey. And uh, he's writing to them. We've been uh, listening to about how he goes, he often goes from this is who you are as a Christian and as a church to then from this, this is what you do as a consequence. Because you are this, this now is how you're to live. Because of this identity in Jesus, now you are expected to be engaged in these activities. And then he highlights what that looks like. So we always go in our Christian life, it's the, the inside-outness of Christian living, right? It starts with who we are, rooted and planted in our relationship with Christ. And then out of that, it is the nourishing presence of God Himself that wells up in us and comes out of us. It's who we are then motivates what we do. We don't start with behavior. 
And we're not in the behavior modification business. Churches are in the discipleship business, right? To learn to be disciples, to learn to be students of Jesus, to understand how Jesus did His life, lived His life, and how Jesus would live His life if He were in your shoes. That's the call of the church, is to be discipleship people. As we open up, um, this is such a, a huge section of Scripture, but it really all ties together. We don't have time to read it all. What I'm going to do is read some of the, the connecting and highlight portions, and then I'm going to refer back to some other uh, bits uh, that we'll uh, not have time to read specifically today. But let's read together, starting in verse 9, chapter 2. So First Peter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. And then he goes into describing some ways. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. Let's turn over to chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to look at some that we just skipped over. Finally... All of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. So he's talking to the church and how church members, brothers and sisters in Christ are to relate in Christ are to relate to one another. And then how that relating to each other in verse 9 is impacts the way that they relate outside the church. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And now down to verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Father, we pray this morning that as your word is living and active, that we would know it in that way today, that you might search our hearts, that you would penetrate us with the cleansing, purifying, healing word that you give us this day. Help us to be good listeners. I pray that your spirit would speak through me the words that you desire to say. And may we all be obedient. Help us to be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Verses 9 and 10, back to chapter 2. Verses 9 again, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. There there's so many Old Testament references in these few verses. It's like a potpourri of Old Testament allusions that describe the community of Israel. They're taken from places like Exodus and Isaiah and Hosea. And Peter refashions them in a way of describing not Old Testament Israel, but the reality of the current church and what God's intention is in it. God calls uh, the Old Testament Israel, He calls these people together first, and then 
to Himself. And as He's standing there giving them the Ten Commandments, what He does is He describes them as a priestly kingdom. Now we know in, uh, in Hebrew practice, the priest is the one who usually makes God known to the people. And so when God says, you are now a nation of priests, that He is saying to the distributed community that you are to be those who make God known to others around you. You are a kingdom of priests. This is the church's identity that Peter's now unfolds for us. That we together are to demonstrate the goodness of God in our life together. This is what everyday mission identity is. Then he kind of turns the page a little where he gives some, some concrete examples, at least in the context to which he's writing, of how this is played out. So he turns to three different spheres of everyday mission. So if we're to be a, a kingdom of priests and the church is described that way, and we're to be people like we talked last week who pastor one another, who nurture each other in the Word of God and, and encourage each other to faith and continue to point each other to the reality of Jesus. If, if that's in part my pastoral role, not mine as pastor, but those who are believers and followers of Jesus, we are to pastor each other, but also the priestly idea is that we are to be those who, who point others who are outside of this Christian faith, we point them to God. So there's three spheres that Peter points out in that context of how everyday mission works out. And then there's one recurring reality. So three spheres and one recurring reality. Let's start with the reality. Um, the one recurring reality that as you go home and you're encouraged this week to come back and reread this passage and read it through the lens by which uh, uh, we're talking about it today and pray through it and see how the Lord would stir your heart about it. But the one recurring reality. Are you ready? It is this, that it is God's will that you and I live such distinctively good life that respects people around us that allows us to point people to God. That's a mouthful. You and I are to live distinctively good and respectful lives toward others. That's it in a nutshell. That's the way witness and testimony goes out from His kingdom. So that's the recurring reality through all of these spheres. Here are the three spheres where living good and respectful life impacted the world of Peter's listeners. He starts in verse 13, "...submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by them to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men." So, we have already learned that Peter describes the church and individual believers as being citizens of heaven. So our primary allegiance is to God and His desire for our living. But we all have a home in a country, don't we? Rudy's just become a citizen of this country. So there are responsibilities that come with citizenship. And not only to a national structure, but also a state. We, we have responsibilities to live lives according to the laws and more locally down into our municipalities. And finally, the smallest section in this regard uh, for the way that we interact with, um, with society is in our neighborhood. And that's what I want to focus on is, is the neighborhood. That uh, our life within our neighborhood, among our neighbors, is lived in such a way that it allows us to have an influence into them, that we live such distinctively good lives 
among and with our neighbors, that they look at us as saying, gosh, you're the kind of neighbor I really enjoy having. You're the kind of neighbor, if I could, if I could paint a picture of an ideal neighbor, it's you. It's you. Why is that? And the intent is that they begin to begin to ask questions and it takes them to a place where you can then point them to the reality of Jesus in your life. Then he turns in verse 18. He says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Okay, first century uh, slavery was far different than most of our conceptions of uh, American slavery that had to do with race. And uh, first century slavery was very complex. Um, but uh, what Peter's talking about, he's neither condoning slavery nor is he talking about the abolition of slavery at this moment. What he's talking about, he's talking to those who are part of a church who in their station of life happen to be in the first century context of slavery. They, they report to somebody. They're responsible within a household to someone over them. And a slave in the first century was expected to participate in the religious practice of the family. And so now as a believer in Christ, a particular slave might now uh, be pulled out of that other religious practice and beginning to engage himself or herself into the practice of worshiping Jesus. And that would put him or her at odds at times with the one over them. And Peter doesn't condone slavery, but what he's saying is if this is, if this is true of your life, and your faith in Christ causes problems for you in this relationship, you're blessed if you bear up under it. That you are to treat with gentleness and respect in that relationship. We might think about it more as uh, our daily responsibilities because we all have those. Or even our workplaces. He says in verse 20 of chapter 2 that by doing good, sometimes suffering might come even because of doing good. But part of what he's calling us to is patient, patient living in the midst of our daily responsibilities, in the midst of our workplaces, so that regardless of how others respond or react to our living out our faith, we are to be patient and gentle back with them. So that's the second sphere. The third sphere he talks about is in chapter 3, and that's the home. He talks to wives and to husbands. He says to the wife um, that... Uh, this is Bryce's paraphrase here, but um, wives, you, you should spend as much time uh, uh, on your allowing Jesus to shape your inner life and your inner beauty as you might on the outward beauty. And allowing the inner beauty then to have influence, especially if you happen to be a wife whose husband is not a believer, and allowing the inner beauty of who Jesus is in you over time to bear witness to the goodness of God through Jesus. So there's a witnessing facet involved in a mismatched, spiritually mismatched home. And then he talks to husbands and he says to husbands, you should gently interact with your wife so that you might grow in your understanding and grow in your respect of her so that your home uh, is as God would desire it to be. You see, Peter's trying to give us at least three different spheres where this idea of living living a distinctively good life comes to bear out in the reality of our world, in our daily responsibilities, uh, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in our homes. And then, what does this mean? How, how, do we, 
How do we make it happen for us? There, there are two core elements to being missional. All right? Two core elements as we, we move to wrap up this morning. And they're nothing new for most of you. They're very familiar things. Number one, it's, well, before we get there, I want you to know that being missional is not a program. Okay, we don't become a, a on-mission church in an active way by simply doing a Bible study next fall where everybody's involved with the Bible study for six weeks on missions, and then it's over. You see, being missional is, is more of the, the fabric that gets woven. It's the threads that are woven into the fabric of a garment that makes it distinct in who and what it is. We are to love Jesus. That's number one. Told you it wasn't anything new. But these are the core elements to becoming a missional person, a missional community in a world, in a Marin County, that is so in need of mission focus. It's to love Jesus. Uh, We are set free in Christ. Peter even cautions us, don't let your freedom, don't use it so that you can go and do things that aren't honoring to God. Use your freedom so that you're free now to serve others in love. You're free in Christ now. So that you can live your distinctively good life. So that people see the goodness of God in you. Jesus said it this way, Let your good deeds be known by men so that they can see them and rejoice in your Father in heaven. They're not, it's not about praising you, it's about seeing God through you. You love Jesus by enjoying His presence. It's about learning to enjoy the fact that Jesus walks with you every day and you learn and grow to enjoy the presence of Christ every single day. Because here's what happened. When you learn to enjoy His presence, you know what happens? There's an enthusiasm that wells up in you about Him. Now, have you ever pictured uh, an engaged couple? And uh, the engaged couple, maybe you're meeting, maybe you know uh, half of the engaged couple and they're introducing you to the person that they're soon to marry. Have you ever seen them introduced this way? Hey, Hey, I'm so happy to see you. I really, I'm happy to see you, but I, I want to introduce you to my fiance. Here she is. Here she is. That's not the enthusiastic response we expect, right? What do we expect? Hey, I'm so happy to see you because I want to introduce you to my fiance. This is her name. This is where she came from. This is how we met. I want you to know her favorite things. I want you to know why I love her. This is my fiance, right? I enjoy my time with her. Can't you tell? And because I enjoy my time with her, I'm enthusiastic about, uh, about that life with her. The same thing is with Jesus. As we learn to enjoy our time daily with Him, it wells up within us an enthusiasm so that regularly we are able to share with people. As we go through our life, there's an aroma that comes off of us that we can't help. Right? You, you use a particular fabric softener or detergent in washing your clothes, right? Part of that is that the the detergent, the perfumes in that, it gets put into the fibers of your clothing, right? Your clothes have a certain smell. I remember changing what I grew up with. My mom used a particular fabric softener as a kid. It had a particular smell. And I remember over time changing to something else as Susan and I set our own married patterns. And I remember thinking, this isn't, this isn't the smell. This is not the smell that I'm accustomed to. That smell that gets woven into the fabric of your clothing. Right? 
So as you learn to enjoy the daily presence of Christ, and there begins this nat- becomes this natural enthusiasm about Him that bubbles up in you, it's this aroma that gets woven into the fabric of who you are. And as you go through your life, the aroma, you can't help it. It just becomes part of who you are, and people begin to take notice. And they begin through your consciously good efforts and work, they begin to see and praise God. So, two core elements to being missional. Number one is loving Jesus. Number two, no secret, it's loving other people. It's loving other people. It's taking a genuine interest in them. It's taking an interest in somebody who's far from faith and taking a genuine interest in something that interests them and engaging them in conversation about that issue. Even those who may despise you or ridicule you because of your faith, It's taking a gentle, respectful approach in the way that you love them because you want to love them into the kingdom of God. You want God to open opportunities for you to love them. The X-Files group, let's come back to that, shall we? I want you to know that the two people that came from the Portuguese class... Um, the husband, um, after time, we, I told you we began to pray, we began to talk together, we'd have Bible studies together. Fred gave his life to Christ and became a, a really strong believer. We began to pray for his wife, Joanne. And I've shared bits and pieces of this, I know, uh, along the way. But Joanne, we were praying for her, we were talking with her, we were trying to help, help guide her in, in answering some of her questions. And what was so great is one day she was a part-time nanny and she was in her house and uh, the cable guy was coming by to do some work in the house. And she, she lets him in. We had given Joanne a book called The Case for Christ. And she was, it was, it's an apologetics book, kind of helps uh, answer some of the questions uh, that, that are typical for those who are struggling with disbelief. And so we'd given it to her. She had it in the house and it was sitting on the coffee table. And Jamal, the cable guy, who none of us at the church ever met, but I'm going to look for him in heaven one day. Because Jamal comes in and he sees this book. You know, he's there to install the cable. And he sees this book um, uh, on the coffee table. And he says, oh, I've read that book. Are you reading it? She said, yeah. Uh, Some friends gave it to me and I'm just beginning to read it. And he kind of looks around. He says, well, I'm not supposed to do this. But uh, do you have any questions that maybe I could answer or help with at least? And he says, you know, I've read the book and I love it. And I've got a relationship with Jesus. And I wonder if you'd be interested in talking to me about him. And that day, Joanne gave her life to Christ because of Jamal the cable guy. But I want you to know it was because Jamal was also on mission, right? Jamal went into his workplace looking for opportunities where God was at work. And there he saw the moment and he stepped into it. Jamal might have been like me. Maybe his heart was fluttering. Should I? Shouldn't I? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. But he did and I'm so thankful that he did because God used his life to crystallize in Joanne's heart what so many of us had been talking with her about and praying with her about. And suddenly now she came. We were out caroling. It was around Christmas time. And I'll never forget, we're up at Town Center Mall. There's about 12 of us out setting up to do some caroling to try to let people know about our life in Jesus. And she comes and she has this big smile from ear to ear. And we're all like, hey, something's happened with Joanne. And sure enough, she came and told us the story about Jamal. Jamal. Jamal is the first person I'm going to look for when I get to heaven. I'm so indebted to Jamal. But Fred came to faith, and Joanne followed her into faith in Jesus, all because they received an invitation at a Portuguese language class that was done by the community development thing at the Tam High School. Then, 
uh, remember the Oklahoma people from the stalking pastor. She worked down in the city. She invited one of her co-workers. She became part of the X-Files party. And Sandy eventually gave her life to Christ. And she, she didn't know anything when we first met her about Jesus. She didn't know anything about Easter. I mean, had no connection. She thought Easter was nothing but bunnies and eggs. Had no idea it had any religious connotation at all. I'm not kidding. It was so remarkable to me. She grew up in Portland. Um, Jeannie, I know that's a fun place. But I want you to know, Sandy gave her life to Christ. And her boyfriend that she ended up marrying, he eventually gave his life to Christ too. All because there was some intentionality and this, this missional perspective about desiring to connect some church people with unchurched people. And it's not just being involved with church, but it's people who love and follow Jesus with those who haven't yet uh, been invited into that life. And it's bringing those two realities together. But it wasn't all happy. One of the, one of the couples ended up divorcing. So I'm not trying to paint you this big, great Hollywood ending but we had this community. We were able to walk with them through the divorce and through the pain. And we tried to counsel them as best we could. And, and that was a really hard moment. And so that, that's part of what Christian community is intended to be. It's a way where we support each other. It's a way where we invite unbelievers, non-believers, uh, into the life of Jesus and encourage them into His life. I may send you an email this week with just some some more tangible thoughts. It's getting kind of late. Um, I'm grateful that God calls us to be on mission with Him. And it is, it is the most remarkable thing. When your life is engaged with Him, things begin to open up. And we're going to look next week. Uh, no, Mansur and Keon are going to be here. We're going to hear how God... Uh, we're going to rejoice together with what God has done in their life next Sunday. And the Sunday after, we're going to talk about everyday evangelism. And we're going to talk about uh, evangelism for the introvert. Amen? Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, the, way that, the way Peter describes it, to be ready. So it, it doesn't go out saying to create all of these opportunities, but to be ready when God opens the opportunity. Just to be attentive and engaged with what God is doing. Let's pray. Living God, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. I thank You for calling Fred and Joanne to faith in You. And I thank You for the work of Jamal, the cable guy. I thank You for Sandy and Matt and for their life in You and the way that, that You uh, have called them into to your, your life and faith. I thank You for the way that through this church and many others, that those who are on the brink of, of heartache and have walked into the shadow of great disappointment, that they have been in Christian community where they can be walked with and beside and encouraged and strengthened and prayed for. I thank You for that sort of community. And I pray, God, that You would continue to weave into this church fellowship an identity of mission, that we can see what You're doing and be part of that. Yes, it will take us around the world. And yes, it will take us right across the street. Help us to do both. Help us to be fixed on both. Help us to be Your people. Strangers and aliens at times in the culture, but called and chosen by You to be Your royal priesthood so that when people see our life together, they rejoice in who You are 
and the way that you love us so that they too might enter into that sort of community, this community, and be loved by you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen.